Hi, I'm Brent Stafford and welcome to another edition of RegWatch on GFN.TV. Technological innovation. It's the lifeblood of economic growth and advancement in health and well-being. Over time, countless products found to be hazardous to health have undergone a reinvention, becoming much safer to use than the product they replaced. Only two decades old, nicotine vaping products are one such example of technological innovation. Vaping has the potential to eradicate combustible tobacco, saving millions of lives. But surprisingly, there's another safer nicotine product which is also wildly popular, yet it could hardly be called new. That product is called Snooze. It's hundreds of years old and responsible for crashing smoking rates in its home country, Sweden. Joining us today to discuss the momentous struggle for safer nicotine products is Cecilia Kinstrand Isaacson, Director of Public Affairs at Swedish Match. Swedish Match is the globally dominant manufacturer and distributor of Snooze, a smokeless tobacco product taken orally via a pouch placed under the upper lip. In Sweden, Snooze is credited for sharp declines in smoking, delivering the lowest male smoking rate in all of Europe. Cecilia, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Let's start with a bit more explanation. What exactly is Snooze and how long has it been around? Snooze is a tobacco product. It's uh, It's been around for a very long time in, in Sweden or in, in the wider Scandinavian countries. It's uh, tobacco in a pouch, predominantly used in a pouch today. The pouch is a fairly new invention. It came around in the 1970s. Before that, people took snooze in its loose format. They took a pinch and placed it in their mouth. And the, the pouch, I would say, is is responsible for the popularity of the product because before you had it in a small pouch or a tea bag, uh, it wasn't very attractive, but the pouch in itself helped the, the product to become more uh, popular. Uh, the tobacco is pasteurized as opposed to chewing tobacco, which is fermented. The pasteurization is uh, it's an old story, uh, but by pasteurizing the products, you're also having a more stable um, climate in, in, in the product. Now, what's the difference between snooze and, say, uh, a nicotine pouch? Snooze contains tobacco. A nicotine pouch doesn't contain tobacco. That's at least uh, the, the difference in the European Union legislation or in the EU legislation. In, in other jurisdictions, uh, nicotine pouches are seen as tobacco products because it, the nicotine is tobacco-derived, but in the EU or in Europe in general, there it's it's not seen as a tobacco product. Now, are they both considered safer nicotine products then? I think it's fair to say that they are if you compare to cigarettes, uh, not perhaps if you compare to nicotine replacement therapies, but definitely compared to combustible tobacco, they are considered much safer, both of them. Now, tell us about your company, Swedish Match. Uh, you know, did or do you uh, still sell cigarettes? No, we don't. We divested the cigarette business in 1999, quite some time ago. My company is very committed to harm reduction, and we have a vision, which is a world without cigarettes. It's a cap. It's uh, almost 10 years old now, and it's um, 
our company recognized that uh, in, or, in order to provide uh, or create shareholder value, we wanted to uh, sell products that are actually good better than than other products in the same category in the tobacco wider tobacco category uh, but the company as such we have a long history of, of harm reduction in terms of what we've done with with the product over time i would imagine that you were one of the originators in that yeah I, we had uh in in the 90s in the 80s and 90s we had a very uh interesting CEO, Stefan Gertner at the time. And, and at that time, Snows was a very small product on the market at that point, but it was felt within the company that the, the Snows product that people put in their mouth shouldn't be more toxic than normal food stuff. So we invested quite a lot of money into a standard, the Gotia Tech standard. So we have, uh, it, it's our own standard and there are requirements on where you can grow the tobacco, how you should treat it afterwards. Uh, we went from air, it went from smoke cured tobacco to air or sun cured tobacco. And by that we eliminated uh, levels of, we almost eliminated all the benspirants, for example, in uh, that were in the product before. And we have, uh, we have limits on unwanted constituents in the product, which is, if you compare to normal food, it's uh, significantly less. In some of the documentation that I've seen with regard to your product, it says that there is very little or no NNN and TNN, which are normally uh, toxic uh, ingredients inside of a cigarette. I'm not actually familiar after all these years covering this issue, I'm, I'm not familiar with those. Uh, could you tell us a little bit more about that? So uh, I think you're talking about the TSNAs, uh, the, the tobacco-specific nitrosamines, which are, uh, they're tobacco-specific uh, and they are uh, seen as carcinogens. Uh, and what we did was to eliminate them as much as we possibly could with, with the Gotia Tech uh, with the Gotia Tech standard. Uh, if you look at the toxicity of a snooze product, you have the benspirins and the tobacco-specific tobacco nitrosamines. These are the sort of crucial uh, toxicants that you want to eliminate as far as, as possible. But then we also, of course, covered other uh, constituents that you get that you get in, in everything that, that it, it's picked up by the soil. So you get it in tomatoes and in rice, uh, so we have a number of, of constituents that we keep track on and that we have maximum levels that is permitted to use in our, in our snooze products. Let me ask you, how much safer is snooze, say, than smoking? That's a debate. Uh, people have suggested 95% less harmful. I've also seen uh, up to 99% less harmful. I have never seen a... a really good continuum of risk. But I think it's fair to say that snooze is on, on the other end if you compare to cigarettes, definitely. But it does contain more toxicants than, than for example, nicotine pouches, which are doesn't have any organic material to talk about. So over the course of time, snooze has been around, um, as we've discussed here, for some time, many, many decades in the modern era. So, you know, what 
type of sciences out there with regard to snooze and have they found any problems with it that should be concerning? Snooze has been around, as you say, for for hundreds of years. Uh, there has been quite a lot of good data coming out from Sweden because we tend to track people when it comes to their health issues. We have there is quite a lot of of different studies around the use of snooze in in Sweden, uh, and I, I there there is probably one of the most researched tobacco products in the world. We know that people have been using it for for decades in Sweden. There is data around that, so we actually have quite a good number of public health studies, sort of real outcomes of what happens when people are using the product, or have been using the product. What effect has snooze had then on smoking rates in Sweden and in other countries where it's available? The fact that there has been a reduced risk alternative available on the market has led to people, smokers, starting to use the product instead of smoking. It's also led to people not starting to smoke. And I think this is interesting and it's it's difficult to argue uh, with public health around this because there is, of course, uh, it's it's very useful if people start uh, start using snooze instead of smoking, but it's also very good if people don't start smoking at all. But they might want to use nicotine, and it's I would argue for public health much better to to start using uh, a less harmful product than a cigarette. I'm just a bit. Uh, discombobulated, a company that is in the business of selling nicotine delivery systems is saying that it might be okay to use nicotine? Uh, I think I wouldn't want my children to use nicotine. Um, But if they would, I would feel much better if they used a reduced risk alternative than if they started to smoke. So looking at some of the data, Cecilia, with regard to smoking rates, it seems that there has been a crash uh, in smoking rates in Sweden and I think in Norway too as well. One of the things that the data shows is that 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 crash is higher with men than with women. Could you talk about that effect and what's going on there? In Sweden, it's uh, predominantly, the product is predominantly used by men. Uh, that's not really the case in Norway. Uh, we're neighboring countries, but uh, traditionally snus has been seen as a very sort of male product, whereas in Norway it's more seen as a unisex product. And that's why you see more women using the product in Norway than in, in Sweden. Uh, it's also fair to say that the, the snus use in Swe- Sweden started way earlier than in Norway. It's been around on the market the pouch came in the 70s. It's been around in Norway. The the Norwegian experience only really started maybe 20 years ago, around there. Uh, and what you've seen is an, a rapid decline in smoking prevalence in Norway. In Sweden, we we were already we were already we were on our way down, but Norway is almost catching up with us in terms of of smoking prevalence data. In terms of health outcomes, is there any correlation with, say, cancer decline? If you look at the statistics, Swedish men has less of the traditional tobacco-related cancer forms. That's not the same for women, because women smoke as their European sisters, whilst the Swedish men 
do not smoke like their European brothers. Cecilia, with such great news about Snooze products, smoking rates and health outcomes, I imagine the result in Europe, you know, the public health and the regulators, they must be clamoring uh, to bring Snooze to their people. You would think so, but that's of course not the case. Uh, as you know, Snooze is banned in the European Union. Sweden got an exception when we joined in 1995. It was a big issue for the Swedes. Uh, and it was one of the key points in the referendum campaign leading up to the referendum that took us into the European Union. You would think that if European regulators really are keen to address issues around uh, smoking-related mobility and morbidity and mortality, that they would look at all, all options available. But they've sort of, uh, uh, they're not too keen on ad- alternative products. So we have a safer nicotine product, one that's got some very strongly proven um, health benefits, um, and it works. But yet you can't get snooze anywhere. What nicotine um, pouches too? Is there any difference or is it just all banned? Uh, according to European legislation, uh, nicotine pouches is not regulated on, under the tobacco products directive. So different member states treated the product differently. Some member states have put them under their tobacco legislation. Some of them view them as a consumer product. Other countries view it as a a food product and other countries also see it as a a pharmaceutical product. So it's all over. Uh, We expect that there will be some sort of harmonization on the EU market uh, once the tobacco products directive is under revision. We will see what the details of that regulation is, but I think that's fair to say that that's most likely, that's a likely outcome. Snooze is of course still will, I would bet money on that it will still be banned because they do not want that product on the market because it's another, it's a, they don't want another tobacco product on the market. They don't want to have new tobacco products on the market. And I think we should also remember that the European Commission and some of the member states, they really wanted to ban e-cigarettes. When the first draft directive came out in 2012, there was a de facto ban on e-cigarettes in the proposal. This was later changed by the European Parliament predominantly. But if the commission had gotten its will, you wouldn't have had uh, vaping products on the European market, which would have been disastrous for public health, considering the people actually switching from smoking to vaping. And that does bring me to my next question. You know, you guys are road warriors uh, in when it comes to safe nicotine products and tobacco harm reduction. What did you first think when vaping products came on the scene? We, I guess we, we were sort of figuring out what vaping was, but we also understand that it's not all product, not one product will fit all people, all smokers. And our strong belief in the company is that uh, whatever alternative product the smoker needs to switch, that's the best product for them. Obviously we, we, we are a bit biased in favor of our own products, uh, but we do acknowledge the fact that the more alternatives they have, the better. 
Let me ask you, Cecilia, when did Swedish Match start using the term tobacco harm reduction? It's sort of ingrained in our culture, in our in our company culture for a long time. I think we, it started being present as a notion in the company already when before we started to do before we started with the Gotia Tech development. Uh, we have since we had adopted the the company, the corporate vision, a world without cigarettes, it's becoming more clear what kind of company we are. But we already, we, we have divested the cigarettes. We have, uh, uh, we have spent money uh, and resources to develop this Scotia Tech standard. We're making the product as safe as possible. So it's, it's always been there. It might not have been explicit, but there's always been a will within the company to ensure that, the, that we have high, a high level of protection or consumer protection. So how do you find public health researchers, uh, universities, uh, regulators? Are they acceptant of tobacco harm reduction as a strategy in Europe? Because I imagine you must have had a lot of experience with anti-smoking pressure groups. Uh, I think there's a, a fair bit of really good science scientists out there. I believe that the, the debate has become a bit more balanced since uh, the vaping products came on the scene because before you only had the Swedish experience that those crazy people in the north, no one really cared about that. But now you have, it's more of a household concept, uh, safer nicotine products. Of course, there, you still have quite a lot of opponents and it's fair to say that so the anti-tobacco movement started for good reasons. People did smoke and people were suffering from smoking. But I can't really understand why they are, many people in the tobacco control world is not willing to, to engage in the discussion around the benefits of alternative products. I guess that it might be because they feel that people shouldn't use anything at all. And if you believe that that's achievable, I guess you're on the right track with trying to uh, remove as many alternative products as possible. But if you think that that might be a bit far-fetched, the best thing for public health would be to try to get people away from the most harmful to the least harmful. I think that it uh, seems logical to me, but um, I, I understand that that's not the point of a lot of people in the tobacco control community. Is their position that they take and the tactics that they deploy, uh, are they fair or are they somewhat maddening? We have the science around snus is, it's quite clear today. We know the science around snus, but you've seen a lot of, of science coming out around vaping, which is not necessarily helpful. I think it's also the fact that they misrepresent uh, the risk or the risk is mis misrepresented in media is a problem. If people think that vaping or snus use or anything else of the reduced risk alternatives, if they believe that that's equally bad as cigarettes, that's not really useful for from a public health perspective. If people believe that they can continue smoking and if they would start vaping, it would be the same as smoking, uh, that's bad considering the, the, the vast difference in risk between cigarettes and, and e-cigarettes or cigarettes and snus or cigarettes and nicotine pouches. 
And of course, but you have to add also, I have to add, the product does contain nicotine. It is addictive uh, or dependency forming, depending on where you stand. But of course, I think we have to be uh, we have to be open about the fact that it does contain nicotine, which is a addictive substance. Cecilia, when we first started covering uh, this issue around nicotine vaping products, we had no idea something like snus existed. And I'd say for the first five years, we get the odd ping from somebody in Europe going, how come you're not covering snus? And I'm like, uh, what are you talking about? It's not available in Canada. I understand that some products, you know, are in the U.S., but it's not, it's not a product that rings in North America. And, of course, vaping is, is where it's at. But, however, um, it was Dr. Brad Rodu in some of our conversations and our early coverage with him. He was like, oh, yeah, well, you really should pay attention to what's going on as snooze. And it turns out that every single argument that tobacco control has made attacking e-cigarettes and making some headway, whether that's dual use, gateway, now, you know, nicotine harms teens developing brains, all this kinds of stuff, originally were battles that were fought uh, around snooze. Yeah, I guess they're using the same playbook as they used on snooze. I think it's fair to say that there is a gateway, but there's a gateway out of cigarettes. It's not a gateway into cigarettes. There's no study, as far as I know, that shows that people are starting to use snooze and then they go in on to smoking. Uh, I guess that's the same for vaping products as well. Uh, dual use, what's the problem with dual use? Dep- if, you, if you start off with smoking and substitute some of your cigarettes with a reduced risk alternative, what's wrong with that? Especially because I think we know that a lot of people start out that way and then they leave the cigarette behind, fine for good. And that should be a good thing. So is there something essentially bad about having a recreational nicotine habit if that nicotine is delivered in a safe manner? Um, I would argue no. But I guess for many people it is a problem. You have, I think we have to recognize the fact that some people are struggling with their nicotine dependency or nicotine addiction. Uh, and that's why we, but there's a lot of products on the market which creates dependencies or addiction. There's a lot of products that are, I think that's just the nature of society. You have a lot of products, alcohol, processed food, gambling, what have you, uh, that are not necessarily seen as necessary, but people use them and enjoy them. And that's why, uh, you can counterbalance a lot of the potential negative consequences of it with the good re- with good regulation. But Cecilia, what about save the kids? Don't you want to save the children? Of course I do. But there are many aspects to saving the children. Uh, one is, do you want the children's parents to smoke? Or do you want to offer the parents an alternative, which is less harmful. I think that would be saving the children. Of course, children shouldn't use uh, substances for grown up people. They shouldn't drink, they shouldn't smoke, they shouldn't use nicotine in any shape or form. Uh, you can, I think you can get the law, you can, you can, you can protect them 
quite a lot with, with good regulation. I think, we, I mean, when it comes to tobacco and nicotine, it's fair to have age limits in the same way that you have for alcohol, for example. Us as an industry, we have a responsibility to ensure that we are actually uh, communicated, communicating in a good way with our consumers. And our consumers are not the children, it's not the kids. Cecilia, it sounds like Snooze is the first reduced risk product before anyone even knew that there was such a thing as reduced risk products. And this is going to come as a surprise to many of our viewers. In 2019, the US FDA authorized the marketing of products to Swedish Match for eight of your products under the general brand. And permission was granted to communicate to the public, to the US public, that using general snooze instead of cigarettes puts you at a lower risk of mouth cancer, heart disease, lung cancer, stroke, emphysema, and chronic bronchitis. What does this mean to have earned all these authorizations? I think it's it's a testament to the quality of snooze. It's a testament to the public health data that we have around the product. It's it's a testament to the Swedish experience. Uh, it's extremely interesting that while the European Union is banning the product, the the US authorities have stated that this is a modified risk product. Uh, so far, we're the only ones that got a modified risk order from the FDA. Uh, and I, I'd say it's a testament to the it's a testament to this to the impact of snus on public health in Sweden. Then I don't believe that snus is a particularly uh, it's a particularly popular product in the US. It is available, but it's not really perhaps what everyone use, but it's there and we have the order. So I think that's a very positive thing. Well, certainly it is. Each and every single one of those diseases are the major killers from smoking. It is. Um, the order or the claim that we're allowed to make doesn't really necessarily quantify how much reduced risk it is, but it is, it's saying it's less risk. So that's a good start at least in communication with our, our consumers. So are you able to put that messaging in a public ad? As far as I understand, we're allowed to do that. And then what about on your packaging? Uh, as far as I understand, we're not allowed to put it on the packaging, which is a bit confusing perhaps. So do you have to keep using uh, the ubiquitous cancer warning? Again, uh, US, US legislation is not my area of expertise, but. Uh, as far as I understand, the warning labels on the cans stay, but we are allowed to communicate uh, the claim that FDA have granted us. Uh, that is what every single company involved in the vaping business in Canada and the U.S. is dying for. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a testament to our long history, perhaps, and also the data. We have a lot of data, of course, because we have... Sweden has to have uh, covered uh, smoking and snus or tobacco use over time. So it's a testament to that. And it's it's very positive. But it doesn't necessarily mean that people will, will use the product. Well, at least it'll mean that you won't be forced as a company to continue lying to your customers. We are allowed to communicate truthfully, yes. Well, that is amazing. 
So what did the opponents to safer nicotine products say when FDA granted these authorizations? I wasn't really a part of the process myself, but I, I believe that there were some uh, representatives from public health who weren't super happy around uh, the order we got. And again, I, I believe that that's because they feel that people shouldn't use any product at all. And then you have to see if you, as I said, if you believe that that's possible, they have uh, they might see this modified risk order as a as a problem if you believe that uh, people will continue to use nicotine and tobacco i would argue that the, the order is a step in the right direction definitely now i would imagine that fda's marketing authorization here is one of the reasons why this past may philip morris international made an offer of 16 billion dollars us to buy swedish match as of this recording, it looks like the purchase is going through. What can you say about that acquisition and what could it mean regarding the tobacco endgame? Um, I can't really talk about it that much. Uh, it's, it's a deal between the owners of the company and the buyers of the company. But fair to say is that, as we know today, PMI will take a very big share of my company. Uh, we do share similar visions. And for a Swedish match, being a fairly small company, we will be, I, I believe that we will be able to take our superior products and put them on more market to get even more smokers to switch from smoking to, to our products. And talk a little bit for us here as we're wrapping up about the tobacco end game. What does that mean and how does Swedish match play a big role in it? Well, the tobacco end game is, I guess, the WHO uh, goal below 5% daily smoking. We have achieved that in Sweden years ago. You're on a good path towards the tobacco end game also in Norway, uh, especially if you look at specific cohorts of people. If you look at women 16 to 24, you have 1% smoking prevalence. So young Norwegian women are not smoking. The tobacco end game will only be achieved, I believe, that if smokers are offered viable, attractive products instead of cigarettes. Uh, and that's, um, that's the way Sweden managed to achieve the tobacco end game. And I hope that uh, the tobacco end game will be achieved in many other countries as well. But it's not going to happen with only tobacco control efforts. It has to be complemented also with a, uh, a bouquet of, of different alternative products. Yeah, well, and let's just hope that tobacco control doesn't move the goalpost and argue for, say, vaping zero or nicotine zero. I think there is a tendency already that we're seeing that, that uh, tobacco control seems to be wanting to equate uh, cigarettes with reduced risk alternative. And uh, the goal will be for people to stop using tobacco and nicotine altogether, instead of focusing on the, the harms of smoking. 